good morning, everyone. It's great to see you here this morning. This actually is my very first time to preach here in, in Kyle, and so thank you for inviting me. You actually didn't know you were inviting me, but Brent did. It's actually because of the topic that we're talking about is holiness, and he just didn't want to talk about holiness. <laughs> and so we're going to do it here this morning. And so if you get your Bibles out, we're going to run through a lot of this here this morning. But to be honest, this topic of holiness is not an easy one to talk about. How many of you know that to be true? How many have any baggage when it comes to thinking about holiness? I think a lot of us do because for so many of us, this idea of holiness, what comes to mind are long sleeves and shirts buttoned up all the way to the top of your neck and skirts and ties and hairs in a bun and no makeup and no playing cards and no drinking alcohol, no smoking, no going to movies. I'm not sure how this would be here in a movie theater. I think for so many of us, that's how we view holiness. Holiness is one of those things that has so much outward do's and don'ts. And so this concept of holiness, I think for so many of us, has this kind of confining, suffocating, void of life, impossible type of thing that's attached to it. And I mean, I think it's even hard for us to think about somebody who actually lives a holy life. I mean, who do you know that's actually holy? I mean, it's hard for us to think about, especially in our culture today, where so much of our culture is about lying and cheating and promiscuity and deception and infidelity. It's, I mean, this is the world in which we live in. And so this idea of holiness, I mean, how is this even possible? It's, it's that we, I think so many of us we live with this idea that I can, I can justify whatever I think. I can justify what, uh, my actions, and that's, that's kind of how we live our lives. And so I think for, for so many of us, this idea of holiness is just this archaic religious code that churches invented to try to control and determine our actions and how we live our lives. Can any of you relate to that? And so that's why, talking about holiness... It's such a difficult thing to talk about because we come with this baggage. But look at this in Leviticus chapter 21, verse 8. It says, Be holy because I, the Lord, am holy. Now I want you to notice that it's God who says, Be holy. The commandment to be holy doesn't come from a church. The commandment to, to be holy doesn't come from a person. It actually comes from God himself. But I think... Immediately, our thought process goes to, well, okay, if that's true, well, then surely God didn't mean be holy. <laughs> I mean, he must have meant be a good person, be, be a decent person, um, be, be better than Mike Nelson. I mean, that's, that's, <laughs> that must have been what God meant when he said this. I mean, how can we actually be holy? Well, the answer to that depends upon your definition of holy, right? Because if by holy you mean perfect, never making a mistake, then you're absolutely correct. It's impossible to be holy. But if to be holy means doing and acting and moving towards the right things, then that's 
possible with the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. See, folks, holiness is something that God himself has commanded us to do. It's not something that's defined. It's not something that comes from any church or any person. It comes from God himself. As a matter of fact, the word holy in all its various forms is listed more than 600 times in Scripture. More than 600 times the word holy is described in Scripture. Not only that, the entire book of Leviticus is devoted to that topic. The video just talked about that. And so this idea of holiness is an enormous part of the Christian life. Look at this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. It says, work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look at some of those different translations. NIV says it this way. Make every effort to live in peace and with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And the New King James Version says it this way. Pursue peace and with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Now notice the different action words that are attached to this word holy in this verse. Look at these these action words. To work at, to make every effort, and to pursue Every one of these words had the exact same meaning of chasing after with the full intent of apprehending it. That's what it's described here. And so holiness is actually something that we're to chase after. But then contrast that with Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4, which says, He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him. Now, notice how the Apostle Paul is describing holiness in this context here. Because here in this verse, the Apostle Paul is describing that when you give your life to Jesus Christ, then in that moment, you're set apart and made holy to God. In other words, when you give your life to Jesus Christ, when you give up control, God calls you holy, and there's absolutely nothing that you can do to ever improve upon that. You are holy. But then, we already talked about, we're supposed to chase, pursue, make every effort to be holy. So how does this work? How are we supposed to chase after holiness, pursue holiness, but yet I'm already holy? How does these go together? Why don't you think about it this way? Have any of you ever been on a farm before? Let me see your hands. Have you ever been on a farm before? I grew up in northeastern Colorado, and my dad was a dairy farmer, and his dad was a farmer and a carpenter, and, and uh, so I, I understand the mindset of farmers. And one of the things that's interesting about farmers is that they're one of the hardest working people you'll ever meet. Any of you farmers out there? Any farmers here? They're the hardest working people you'll ever meet, but it's interesting about their hard work because their hard work is without really knowing if what they're doing is going to actually produce something. Like my dad used to say, they're the biggest gamblers on planet Earth because they're working hard, but they don't really know what they're going to produce because here's the thing. They're doing these things. They're plowing the field, planting the seeds. They're fertilizing the crops, and they're making sure the weeds don't destroy what will grow there. But so much of what they're doing is completely outside of their control because they cannot control and they cannot make that seed grow. Nothing they do can make that seed grow, and they can't make it rain from the heavens. 
and they can't cause the sun to shine when it's supposed to shine so that the crop will grow and so they can actually harvest the crop. There's nothing the farmer can do to do that. But here's the thing. If the farmer doesn't do what he's responsible for doing, if he doesn't plow the field and plant the seeds and fertilize and cultivate that, then if he's just sitting there twiddling his thumbs, hoping some way, somehow, that this field that he has will, will just automatically, this, this crop will grow, then the reality will be nothing will happen. Because here's the thing, folks. There's this divine partnership that happens with a farmer and with God. Because the farmer can't do what God does, and God will not do what the farmer is responsible for doing. Chasing holiness is the exact same thing. Because holiness is one of those things that we need God to do in us. In other words, if God isn't present in your life, then holiness is unachievable. That's what we call positional holiness. Only God can set you right. What Jesus did, only through him can you be set right, set apart to God. Only God can do that. So without God being present in your life, it's impossible for you to be holy. But on the flip side of it, there are things that we need to do as well in order to be holy. If you're like that farmer who's just twirling your thumbs, expecting that somehow that God's going to take his magic wand and hit you on the head, and all of a sudden your character changes, all of a sudden your thought life changes, all of a sudden the things you're addicted changes, all of a sudden that those, those foul mouth, that come, the words that come out of your mouth, that that changes because he just taps you on the head. If you're waiting for that, then you're going to miss it. You're going to miss holiness. And this is what's called behavioral holiness. See, there's a partnership that we have with God. This partnership with behavioral holiness and positional holiness. Now, what exactly is holiness? Let's describe it here. Because to be holy means to be morally blameless. To be holy means it's, it's being separated from sin and set apart to God. That's what holiness is. The Apostle Paul describes it this way in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting verse 2. He says, you know the guidelines we laid out for you from the Master Jesus. God wants you to live a pure life. Keep yourselves from sexual promiscuity. Learn to appreciate and give dignity to your body, not abusing it as some are so common among those who know nothing of God. Don't run roughshod over the concerns of your brothers and sisters. Their concerns are God's concerns, and he'll take care of them. We've warned you about this before. God hasn't invited us into a disorderly, unkempt life, but into something holy and beautiful. It's beautiful on the inside as the outside. If you disregard, disregard this advice, you're not offending your neighbor. You're rejecting God, who is giving you a gift of his Holy Spirit. And then the Apostle Peter describes it this way in, in 1 Peter chapter 14. He says, don't lazily slip back into your old grooves of evil, doing just what you feel like doing. You didn't know any better then, you do now. As obedient children, let us therefore be pulled into a way of a life shaped by God's life, a life energetic and blazing with holiness. God said, I am holy, you be holy. And so to live a life of holiness, to live a holy life, means to live a God-focused life. To live a holy life means to live a God-focused life. It's not about doing what everybody else is doing or not doing what everybody else is doing, but it's actually just living out what God has called you 
to do. And so living a holy life means living a life in full agreement and an obedience to what the Bible says and what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you personally. Apostle Paul said this way in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20. But that's no life for you. You learn Christ. My assumption is that you pay careful attention to him, been well instructed in the truth precisely as we have it in Jesus. Since then, we do not have an excuse of ignorance. Everything, and I do mean everything, connected with that old way of life has to go. It's rotten through and through. Get rid of it. And then take on an entirely new way of life, a God-fashioned life, a life renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as God accurately reproduces his character in you. Do you see this partnership? God working in in you, and it works from the inside out. So then our behavior changes. It's this divine partnership then that we then have with God. But the question becomes then, if holiness is so basic to the Christian life, then why in the world do we struggle with it so much? I mean, why do so many of us feel so beaten up by our sins and our sin nature? Why is it that so many of us look more like the world than actually looking like God. Remember, God said, be holy as I am holy. And so why is it that so many of us look more like the world than actually looking like God? Well, I think one of the problems for so many of us is that we're constantly adding our own opinions, our own thoughts, and our own ways of doing things to what God has said. Okay, you missed that one, didn't you? I think one of the problems, let me say it again, one of the problems that so many of us have is that we're adding our own opinions and our own thoughts and our own ways of doing things to what God has said. And this is such a huge issue. Look at this in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. It says, we are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but, what's it say? What's it say? Our righteous deeds, these are attempts that we're trying to do, are definitely that filthy rags. And so when we, or when the church, tries to define holiness by a list of do's and don'ts, they're just a bunch of, re- of religious filthy rags to God. That's how God sees them. Which is why, when you read through the Old Testament, one of the things that God wanted the Israelites to understand, and you'll see this time and time and time and time and time again in the Old Testament, is that God hates the mixing of man's ways, man's ideas with his ways and his ideas. That they are actually in conflict with each other. And so one of the examples that we see of this really early on in Scripture, and the, the video talked about it, is when God introduced himself to a man by the name of Moses. Look at this in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. It says, One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it did not burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. Now, Have any of you, when you read this passage, if you remember this story, ever wondered why God told Moses to take off his sandals? Have you ever wondered that? Have you ever wondered why God said, take off your sandals? I mean, why would God call Moses close and then say, stop, (laughs) 
Stop right there. Well, think about it this way, because who made the dirt on the ground that had been sanctified by the presence of God? Who made the dirt? Who made the dirt? God did. And who made the feet that were in the sandals that were approaching the Almighty God? God made those feet. But who made the sandals that Moses was wearing? Some man or woman made those sandals that Moses was wearing there. And so think about this, because God was telling Moses to come close, but don't come with just your own ways and own thoughts and own opinions. God doesn't want our man-made ways to conflict or to interfere with his interaction with us. Okay, I want to ask you to do something here um, this morning. Would, would you be willing to take off your shoes? Yeah, what? Come on, just take off your shoes right where you are. Everybody take off your shoes. I know the floor is sticky. But just take off your shoes. Come on. You can go back home and say, what did you do in church? We took off our shoes. Come on. Go ahead and take off your shoes. Just come on. Just, just, just trust me, would you? I, I know I'm the stranger in the house here. But just trust me. Take off your shoes. You know, for the, ri- in the, the risk of making this place stinky, just go ahead. <laughs> take off your shoes. Some of you are looking at me like, I'm going to take off my shoes. But I want you to feel something. The reason why I ask you to take your shoes because I want you to feel what that is. Because can you feel the own resistance in you? Some of you are still resisting me, aren't you? I'm not going to take off my shoes. But listen to me. Because when we do something like this, there's a little bit of uneasiness to it. There's a, it's foreign. It's embarrassing. It's uncomfortable. And there's a vulnerability because maybe the socks you put on this morning have holes in them. You know, and may, maybe your feet do stink, you know. And so it's uncomfortable. It's, it's, it's a bit vulnerable. But isn't that the point? Isn't that the point, folks? Because our ideas and our opinions and our intellect and our learning and our training and our arrogance, these are all things that can defile and contaminate our interaction with God. See, folks, it's true. God is holy. And yes, just as, as God called Moses to him, God is calling you and me towards him. He wants us to be in his presence. He wants us to know him. He wants us to interact with him. But only if we're fully surrendered to him and not demanding our own ways. And therein is the essence of holiness. Did you hear me? God wants us to come near to him. But we need, we need to be fully surrendered to him and not demanding our own ways. I want to share a story with you that kind of an experience that I had several years ago. And I debate, I told um, the Austin service the first time this morning that I, I felt, I, I wasn't sure if I wanted to share this story because it's so embarrassing for me. Um, uh, but I couldn't get away from the fact that I felt like God wanted me to share this story with you. And I, I apologize for all of you who are, are meeting me for the first time. Uh, this story is a little bit out there, and I, I apologize for that. But I want you to hear what I, what, this experience that I had. Um, this was several years ago, and I was pastoring up in um, southern Wisconsin. And I, take my pastor, I took my pastoral staff on a three days of prayer and fasting, and we went to this prayer and fasting retreat center called The Sanctuary in, in Whitewater, Wisconsin. 
And it's a bit interesting. It's, it's, it was created and led and built by and, and ministered um, um, through this, um, this 80-plus-year-old African-American woman who's just an amazing, amazing woman who really pulled on the presence of God. And on her knees, she really opened the heavens in that place. And just an, an incredible ministry was going on there. But to be honest, <laughs> I was going there because I needed a break. I was going there with my own agenda. I was going, one of the things I tend to do when I go on retreat or whether it's a personal or just a praying thing or a prayer and fasting thing is I usually take a stack of books because that's my time. That's my time that I can read and get caught up with stuff. I brought my laptop because there's some work I need to get caught up with. And so that's how my approach was going to be coming into there. And so I walk in to this place called the Sanctuary and Purnell, this lady, she sees my stack of books and goes, uh-uh, no, not here. She goes, all I want you to do is read your Bible and there'll be a book in the room that I've assigned to you that I want you to read and go through. And that's it. I thought, what? <laughs> that's not what I wanted to do here. But I thought, okay, I'll just kind of go with it. And on top of that, she assigns which rooms you're supposed to go to. So I didn't get to pick my room. Now, I knew the different rooms. And there were a bunch of this huge, lavish rooms that were, you know, just intricately de- decorated. And I was asked what that, that was the room that I, well, some of the rooms that I wanted. But, oh, no, I got a room that was called the um, the upper room that that was mine and it was just this little itty bitty um, room that had hardly any any room any space in it. and on top of it there were mirrors everywhere in this room but not the old hobby lobby little cutesy mirrors these were floor to ceiling panels of mirrors that were all over in this room and so I walk in this room and think I can't believe this is what I'm going to do and and so I thought, well, okay, I'm just going to go through the motions of it. I'm just going to do this. And, uh, and so I start reading this book. And the book tells me that I'm supposed to fill out this worksheet and confess my sins and, and do this whole thing of, of really calling, bringing my heart to the Lord and calling after him. And then I'm supposed to take this worksheet and go to the prayer closet in the room. And it was a literal prayer closet, a, a literal closet that had been turned into a prayer area. And so I went into the closet and I knelt down with my worksheet and all the things that I was supposed to be filling out. And, and I just began to pray to God and began to repent of the different things I felt like I needed to repent of. And I was doing that, and there in the room, I saw this Jewish prayer shawl. And I thought, well, I've never done this before. I wonder what it's like to pray with a prayer shawl. And so I put the Jewish prayer shawl on, and I thought, well, I'll just pray this way, because it's here, and I've never done this before, and so I'll just pray. And so I began just to pray, and just to call on God, and just began to just to um, really call on just pleading and asking that God would work in my life and expand this and expand that. And all of a sudden, I heard these words come into my head that said, remove your clothes. And I thought, "Mm -mm." (laughs) mm-mm. And that is not God. (laughs) I think the words, responses, get thee behind me, Satan, at this point. And I thought, that can't be God. And so I... Went back under my little prayer shawl here and just began to pray again. But again, those words just stuck in my head, remove your clothes. And so here I was, I was faced with this dilemma because I wanted to do what God wanted me to do. I wanted to be obedient, but I sure didn't want to miss him. And this was uncomfortable. This was not something that I was even interested in doing. But I finally decided, you know what, I would rather be willing to 
step out in something and miss God than to some way, somehow justify and excuse away something that might be God. And so I got up and I went back into the bedroom area. Mirrors everywhere. <laughs> you need to understand I tend to be pretty modest. I'm not one of these guys that walks around with his shirts off or walks around the house without any clothes on. I tend to be pretty modest. And so there's these mirrors everywhere I turn, floor to ceiling mirrors. And so I take off my clothes really quickly. And not only that, I took off my, my grandfather's ring and my wedding ring and I had a watch on. I took off the watch on. And I couldn't get to that prayer closet fast enough. Because here is the thing. These doors have no locks on them. And so I was afraid somebody was going to walk in on me. And there I am, you know, completely naked and uh, think I'm some sort of pervert or falling off just kind of complete deep end. So I rushed into the closet and I was never so happy to have somebody to cover myself up with. <laughs> so I put the prayer closet prayer shawl back on me and I began just to pray and when I finally was able to kind of calm my mind from all the embarrassing thing and I had to close my eyes because there, there were mirrors in the prayer closet too <laughs> and so I had to close my eyes and just pray again and, and say okay God here I am completely naked completely stripped of everything I don't know why you want me to do this but here I am I'm doing this. And so and I just began just to call out on God and say, God, I let go of all my pretense. I let go of all my predetermination. I let go of all my desires, all my wants. I let go of all of these things. I just began to just kind of release those types of stuff. And, and then I asked God, I, God, I need you to be my covering. And I, and I saw myself in the mirror and I saw this parish all over my head. And, I, and I, it just had this picture of God's covering over me, God's, God's authority coming over my life. And, and I just began to pray, God, I need you to cover me. I need you to be my authority. I come out from underneath all those types of things. And I just continued to do that until I felt like that was a release. And I thought, well, this is good. Um, I can go ahead and get dressed. And so I hurried up and went back into the room and kept, kept the prayer shawl around me here because I needed something. Because again, there's mirrors everywhere around here. But I felt compelled to get my clothes on slowly. It was such a strange thing. Opposite of what it was at the beginning. I felt compelled just to put my clothes on slowly. And I watched myself in the mirror still with this prayer shawl over my head. I began just to put my clothes back on. But as, as I put my clothes on, I began to pray. And I heard myself praying these prayers. God, I thank you for these clothes. I thank you for my cards. I thank you for my house. I thank you for my material possessions. And as I was putting my clothes on, this revelation that these were no longer my coverings, they were just added blessings that God had given me, but God was my covering. And then I put on my socks. <laughs> and I was reminded of Ephesians where it talks about all the armor and, and that our feet are shot with a gospel of peace. So I put my socks on. As I put my socks on, I began to say, God, I thank you for the ministry that you've given. God, I thank you for the gifts and talents that you've given. God, I thank you for the call that you've put on my life. I thank you for what's happening in our churches. And, and I just bring all of that underneath you. As I saw, I still watched myself in the mirror putting my socks on and this revelation of bringing all of that under God's covering, under his authority. And then I picked up my granddad's ring and still with the parish all over my head. And, and I put my, my, that, my grandfather's ring on and I began to pray, God, I thank you for my heritage. 
I thank you for my godly heritage, my parents and my grandparents, my great-grandparents who paved the way for me. And I come out from underneath all those generational curses, and I come under the blessing of those who've gone before me. And I, I just began to pray and thank God for all of that. And then I picked up my, my wedding ring, and I put that on, and, and I began just to thank God for my, my godly wife that, she, that God had given me. And thank him for, for that through her that I am blessed. I began to thank God for my, my four children and, and the blessing that they are to me. And, and then the last thing I picked up was my watch and, and I put it, put it on. So I put it on. I began to say, thank you, God, for the time that you've given me. Thank you for the life that you've given me. Thank you for my past, this present right here, but also for the future. And I let go of my goals. I let go of my plans. I let go of my aspirations. And I bring my time under the covering and the authority of God. And then I had all that on. I ran back into the prayer closet and I began just to pray. God, here I am again now with all of this. But I recognize it's all under you. It's all under your covering. And I surrender all of this to to you. And then I went back into my room and I picked up the book that I was supposed to be reading. And the first thing I read in the book was this. It said, to the person who tarries before the Lord in obedience in the upper room ministry, have you come to the end of yourself, empty, cleansed, humble, low under the precious blood of Jesus Christ? God was doing that in me. See, folks, this is what I want you to get because our opinions and our ideas and our intellect and our training and our positions and our giftings and our talents and our accolades, these are all things that can filter and stand in the way of God's presence in our life. That's why holiness is the complete surrendering of my life to God and laying down all of my demands before Him. And that's why, folks... We need to figuratively and sometimes literally take off our sandals. The stripping of those things that stand in the way between us and God. See, because I get this issue of holiness. There's so much baggage. It brings up so a lot for so many of us. It doesn't me. It brings up so much baggage, religious baggage and religious mindsets. But we can't get away from the fact that holiness is an integral part of your Christian life. Again, Hebrews 12, verse 14 says, Work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. And so not only does God command us to be holy as he is holy, but when we are not, then we'll actually keep us from meeting God, for interacting with God. We'll constantly be missing God. And maybe that's how you feel this morning. You feel like you're missing God. You're wondering where he is and why there's not this happening in your life. Well, may I suggest to you that there's things that God has put in your life and put his finger on and ask you to stop doing or ask you to do something and you've resisted. You've rationalized it out. You've excused it out. May I suggest the way we draw near is by relinquishing that, surrendering those things completely to him and not demanding our own way. And so here this morning, I want you to just close your eyes, if you would, please. Because I want you to, maybe the Holy Spirit's already tapping you on the shoulder. Maybe he's already speaking things to you about things that you need to surrender, things that you need to let go. Maybe you're realizing this even here today that there have been some things you've been relying upon. There's been some things that, that you are using to cover yourself. 
And so what are those? What are those sandals that God's putting his finger on even here today that he's asking you to remove, to let go, to surrender to him? And if you would, when you feel like there's something that God's putting his finger on, I want you to picture picture yourself putting those in your hands and just put your hands out in front of you, palms up to heaven. And whatever those things are, maybe that God's been putting his finger on here, even in this service. I want you to take those things, and I want you just to pray here out loud with me. I want you to say this out loud. Say, God, I realize. Say it out loud. Say, God, I realize that I'm not always aware of the things that I'm holding on to tightly. I'm not always aware of the things that have become my coverings. I'm not always aware of the religious to-do lists that guilts me into submission. And so today, I'm asking that you would expose those things that are dividing my heart and that are compromising my commitment to you. I'm asking that you would expose those religious substitutes for holiness. Today, I'm making a decision to surrender everything to you everything. Help me to get my focus off of me and any and all religious substitutes. I let go of control. I let go of my will. Your will be done. I choose your will today and I surrender my life to you and I choose to walk in holiness because I want to see you in Jesus' name. Amen.